0: have a question about your home?
1: Call Ken the contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor
0: who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single-family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken, the contractor, brings his years of experience to the radio. Roy, hi. You're on the air with Ken Patterson. Hey, guys.
1: I love the show. And you know what? I really need to send you some pictures of the projects you guys have helped me complete because We'd love really, to without them. your help, it, it it would never have happened.
2: Great. Thank you so much. We'd love to have them, too. Who knows? Okay. They may wind up on, on my website.
0: Do you have a question about your home, inside or out? Call Ken, the contractor. Hi, everybody. Along with Ken Patterson, Ken, the contractor, I'm Jim Britt. Every weekend at this time, Ken is... Is right here, ready to answer the questions that are important to today's homeowner. That's you. Give us a call if you have a question or a comment. You can join us anytime and reach Ken anytime at 800-614-2975, or you can email your questions to our website. That's com. And I have to keep you up to speed on what's going on in the home market because
2: things have changed over the years, and we've been attempting to do this, whether the market's moving downward, stabilizing, or moving upward. And as we have discussed over the last several shows, the market trend nationwide is moving upward, meaning that inventory is being reduced, foreclosures as a whole are down from where they the record highs that we saw, and the availability of homes in many markets is dwindling in terms of both new construction and existing homes. And I say that because even as we speak today, many of you are out looking for homes, apartments, condos, some new place to move to. Maybe you're moving from one city to another. Maybe it's not just within the community. And there's an item that I want to bring to your attention. We don't talk about often on this show or even through the website we need to spend a little more time with. And that has to do with the age of structures because, folks, age really does matter when it comes to purchasing an existing home. And what I'm about to tell you will apply to you whether you're selling an existing home or whether you're looking to buy an existing home. Because remember, it takes both to make a deal work. So when we think a little bit about the age of our homes, some things that should be very important to us all across the nation. According to a national survey by the U.S. Census Bureau, two-thirds of U.S. homes are built prior to 1980. That's two-thirds of the roofs in the United States, are older than 1980 construction. So that means only one-third of all homes are less than 30 years old, and that includes the newest homes built just recently when you throw that into the mix. But when you're thinking about that, then you have to go a little further and say, how long do products last within our houses? And I'm going to make a point of this in just a moment, so follow the logic on this. I'm going to hit on some of the key items, the most expensive things to deal with in our homes. The life of a roof obviously depends on local weather conditions, the uh, uh, proper building and design, the material quality, the adequate maintenance, how it was handled over the number of years that it's there. Certain items like slate, copper, and clay roofs will outlast most of us. But the standard roof that we see across this nation may well be shingles, and those have an expected life depending on when they were put on of 20 to 25 years. Heating and cooling systems will have a tendency to last anywhere from 15 to 25 years depending on when they were put in. If they're were, if they newer equipment, older equipment you're going to find will last 12 to 15 years. And so when you look at some of those items, you have to start paying attention not to just how nice the paint looks or is there new flooring in place, but some of these other elements that can add thousands of dollars to you when you're purchasing a home, maybe immediately after closing. You never know. Flooring's another issue, but flooring happens to be one of those items that really has to do with decor and the way we like living in our home. But if you're looking at existing or new homes with solid floors, solid surface-type products, whether it's a ceramic tile, hardwood floor, a laminate, something on those lines, you can expect that to last far longer than the carpet, the sheet vinyl, uh, even some of the older VCTs that are out there. So I want you to pay attention to finished products and to mechanical products. Another area that we see that we don't often think much about has to do with appliances. In appliances, the life expectancy varies drastically on those. When we look at gas ranges and electric ranges, we'll see that maybe 13 to 15 years, but some with the shortest lifespan deal with trash compactors. Now, they're not in vogue today, but if you happen to be one of those folks that love a trash compactor, and you're buying a home with one that's eight years old, you're going to expect to replace it pretty soon. Dishwashers, nine years, and microwave ovens, about nine years. So why is all this important to you, whether you're buying or whether you're selling? First, if you happen to be the seller, you're trying to move your house a little quicker than the neighbor down the street, you need to move on to another city, you've got a house built, whatever the case may be, you may want to consider some of these items that are at the end of their useful life. If you happen to have an old HVAC system, a central cooling and and heating system that's 15 years old, it probably is very energy inefficient. It's going to have a SEER rating of 10, maybe less. You may want to think about going ahead and upgrading that system on your own if you have the financial wherewithal to do that, or the alternative is be prepared to bargain a little bit with a prospective buyer or throw that into your offering, your advertising. If you don't have the cash up front, here's my list price. I'm willing to discount or to rebate. There are ways to deal with this to entice that buyer to come along and not have this be a negative. The same holds true when you look at some of the appliances. They may not be dated just in color, but they may be on their last leg in terms of performance. And there are ways, if you don't have the cash, as I said, to negotiate something with a prospective buyer, but they need to know that up front because if they don't, they're apt to pass your yard and go somewhere else where they're finding either newer appliances, uh, newer air conditioning, newer floor covering, and say, I'd rather spend my money here. Now, if you're on the buying side of this, you want to keep those tips in mind that I just said. If you find an older home, and folks, there's absolutely nothing wrong with older homes all over this country. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's just a matter of being a sharp buyer and a sharp seller, and how do we bring things together so that all parties are happy? That's what I want you to pay attention to. So if you happen to be in the market for an older home, look at these items. Talk to your seller about them or through your real estate agent and see where you have some room for negotiating that allows both of you to be very, very happy. One other item that I want you to be aware of for all of you both buying and selling, that homes that are pre-early 80s may have a tendency, and I'm not saying they all do, to have either lead-based paint in them or there may be some degree of asbestos in old vinyl tile and window glazing in drywall compounds and adhesive that uh, held floor materials down. And that should not be something that scares you to death. A lot of people out there have been scared off simply because of uh, the news media, EPA reports, those type things. If you go to the EPA website, you'll find that these products are safe when handled properly. It's just like anything else, putting gasoline in your car. If you handle it properly, it's safe. If you don't, it's a safety hazard. So if you understand that, don't be scared off by these, but be certain that everything has been taken care of properly. These are questions to ask your seller about or deal with your real estate agent on, but they're always good ways to make good deals.
0: Quick question, and that is, you inherit a home that doesn't have a lot of uh, real solid records. How do you guesstimate on, on some of this particular stuff if that's not really your forte?
2: You say inherit literally. you got a
0: yeah. home that has been dumped in your lap. Or you, you, you buy one, and there's not a lot of records to tell me about the, well, you, the heating and cooling system or anything else. You may
2: not have that, but you're going to find a lot of information on labels. You can go to heating and cooling system. Many times there are date codes that are actually stamped there. You'll see 2001. You'll see 1992. You also can judge some of this, and you may need some experienced help based on the type of refrigerant that's in the system because refrigerants have changed. Also, you will typically find that even in a home that's 40, 50 years old, there's some degree of record with the locality. You can go back and look at older maps, plats, and so forth and see when that home was constructed. To give you a general idea, is it 50 years old, 80 years old, 90 years old, whatever?
0: Model numbers can help, too?
2: Model numbers can help, and products.
0: Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. If you've got a question for him, you can join us at 800-614-2975. Coming up a half hour from now in the news, Ken will tell you about three new and innovative home products that you may want to consider. And coming up, one-on-one, if you ever heard of Mudflow Insurance? That's coming up on this edition of Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, is right here answering questions about your home inside and out. If you'd like to join us, you can participate in the show by calling 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Post your comments at KenTheContractor.com. And don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor, and also follow us on Twitter at Ken answers. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson, Ken the contractor. We go to the phones right now and Betty has got some problems with a garage door as she joins us. Hi Betty, you're on the air with Ken the contractor.
3: Yes, I have a question. I have an iDrive garage door opener. I've never had one before and they installed it when we we built their house. It goes down fast I think and what my concern is it seems like when it hits the floor it like it sort of bangs. So I had the installer come back in, and he said he thought that was okay, and he didn't want to adjust it because he thought maybe it wouldn't seal to the floor if he did that. So it's, I, I don't know where to go from here on this.
2: Okay. This is the iDrive was on the market starting in about, I think, 05 or 06. So yeah. is that roughly when you had this installed?
3: Uh, probably ours was in like oh the latter part of 08, I would say. Okay.
2: Okay. So if, if I understand the, the manufacturer's information correct, uh, the that version of iDrive is no longer on the market.
3: That's what he tells yeah. me now.
2: And it was produced primarily by Wayne Dalton, which is a great producer of garage doors and garage door openers as a whole. But this was a unique style. This was a, a unique type. This one, for others who don't know what you're talking about, I want to take a moment to explain it and we'll be sure we're talking about the same item. This is a garage door opener that does not mount in the ceiling, but it mounts in the head on the wall above. the garage door and uh, that is what you're discussing with me that's what you have correct
3: exactly okay
2: and so it relies uh, a lot on the tension that's already set in place not unlike standard garage door openers on the tension spring at the top and it actually raises the door from the bottom, where most garage door openers attach to the top panel of the door. This is pulling the entire weight of the door up from the bottom. A great concept, but they've had some issues and some problems with it. But with that said, there are adjustment features on the iDrive just like all others, and sometimes it's not just the adjustment on the garage door operator that needs to be dealt with, but the tension adjustment also on the coil at the head of the door. Okay. So I don't know whether the installer talked to you about that, being able to adjust the tension a little bit, because it sounds to me like, the way you're describing this, almost with any door, if the spring is weakened or if it needs adjusting, that, that door under its own weight is going to gain momentum, and it's going to tend to hit the floor and then want to bounce back up. Right. And it can bounce off the track. It can damage the rollers on the end. You can damage the bottom panel. So that might be the question you want to ask the installer or the service person is did they adjust the spring tension on it or can they adjust the spring tension so that it has a tendency to be just a little more mellow in the way it hits that floor. Right.
3: Uh, he also told me he said we're about the only one that does this. So I didn't can you recommend anybody else that's reputable that I could call to do this?
2: Well, there aren't. You're not going to find every installer dealing with the iDrive because it was produced by one manufacturer. Okay. And uh, there are there will be multiple companies that handle the Wayne Dalton brand or product line of garage door and garage door openers and operators. As said, there it's a very good door. I've used it many times, and their traditional operators work quite well. So any company that carries that product line in your region should be able to have a service person that can come adjust that for you.
3: And I have, let me ask you this real quick. He said you know, they, they are replacing it with something else up there. He said it's probably around $400. I don't know what he meant when he said they were replacing it with something else.
2: Do you have a single or a double-width garage door?
3: A single.
2: Okay, so that's roughly, it's an 8-foot wide door, 7 feet high. It's a fairly light door. You will find numerous operators that you can buy through different overhead door companies or even some of the big box stores that will sell them installed. And I would say those typically will start at around $325, and they'll move on up the scale to six, $700, wow. de- depending on how many safety controls, bells and whistles you have, how many remotes come with that, the type of lighting that's on the inside, the rolling code technology, which helps keep people from uh, driving down the road with uh, radio devices and frequency devices and raising your door. All of those are important. And just like any electronic device, it tends to drive the price but you can buy them if you or someone in your household is capable of installing a standard garage door opener uh, that mounts at the ceiling level. Uh, you can buy those for under $200 and then invest your own labor if someone in the household can install them. They're not difficult to install if you follow the instructions.
3: Right. Well, I don't have one someone here that can do that. It's just me. <laughs>
2: okay. Well, then call around to two or three, at least three. I really encourage people to get three bids of, of overhead door companies uh, in your region and ask for bids. Tell them exactly what you have and what you're looking for, and they're going to give you several different brands. Tell them you're looking, and you can start out this way. I'm looking for the most economically you have. Send me some literature on it. Have a salesperson come by and see me. Give me a quote. And then from there, you can move up. I'd like this safety feature or this safety feature. Some of the safety features are mandated by the federal government. There are others that are more security than safety that you would have a say in.
3: Right. Well, you know, if, if this is, not working that well and they've discontinued it it looks like the company would stand good to replace it with something else that you know that did work properly
2: well unfortunately you you have you're well beyond a warranty period on this and had this been an issue for you within the warranty period again the manufacturer is one that's reputable they would have been behind it but they're like any other company they're going to honor what they put in writing to us as consumers, and beyond that, we've gotten some use and wear and tear out of it, and we're kind of on our own.
3: Yeah, I, I can see that. Okay. Unfortunately,
2: I wish I could. I wish I had a better answer for you. But okay, I, that's
3: d- fine. I'm, I'm okay with this. And thank you so much.
2: We appreciate your call. Thanks for listening, Betty.
0: Mm-hmm. Bye. Appreciate your call, Betty. Let's uh, do a quick email here before we do have to break, Ken. Uh, and this is involving uh, a bigger and bigger issue for folks, disposing of latex paint that comes to us uh, from Jim in Virginia. Where do you put the stuff? Well, Jim writes, and he
2: he says, in this case, so some of you can work your way through this, that he has several five-gallon containers and some small one-gallon containers. Most of us have a lot of this around the house or maybe in the garage that we use for maintenance occasionally. And he's saying, it's all latex. That's key. That's a key word. I want all of you to pay attention to that, that it's latex paint. How do I go about disposing it? Jim, there's several options for you and all of us that have latex paints, which are water-based. Uh, In terms of disposal, most of these are low or no VOC, which is volatile organic compounds. They produce limited off-gassing, and they do not require the controlled disposal that oil or solvent-based paints do. So there are several quick alternatives for us to consider. First, I want all of you to think about this. If they are still usable, you just don't need the color You're not going to work with that anymore. Consider donating it to a local community nonprofit or a building green or local recycling organization. Most communities have these today. A lot of nonprofits would love to have some free paint. Also, the There are many major paint stores now across the country that have drop-off points, not only for water-based but also for oil-based and solvent-based. They are recycling and reclaiming these products. So you want to take a look and, and see if that's available in your neighborhood. But if none of those work for you, then just remove the lid, allow the paint to dry out and become solidified and it can be safely disposed of in your ordinary trash at that point. It is not hazardous, but it should be in a solid form. And if you want to shorten the drying time, you can add kitty litter, masonry sand, or sawdust to that. Leave the lid off. You end up with this big chunk. Throw it away.
0: Yeah, That's, I know, a common one where folks do add some sand, kitty litter, things like that. We'll take care of it. And then you can properly dispose of it. Yeah, it's quick
2: and simple. You don't worry about a spillage and so forth.
0: Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Ken can help. You can give him a call. You can reach us at 800-614-2975. Email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. Don't forget, follow us on Facebook at KenTheContractor. And follow us on Twitter at KenAnswers. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken Patterson. Ken, the contractor, you can always reach us at 800-614-2975. We'll go back to the phones in just a moment. But first, let's bring you this week's edition of One on One with Ken, the contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and most importantly, save you money. My next guest
2: is Rick Williams. Rick is an agent with the Rockingham Group and Rick's been good enough to join us today so that we can talk a little bit about some unique insurance items, some areas that we don't often think about that frequently are areas we need coverage. Rick, welcome to the show. Hi, Ken. Glad you could join us today. In the past, we have talked about standard insurance policies and, and how premiums will vary for homeowners depending on what type of structure they have and where they may live. I want to talk for just a moment about Special riders that many times either we as a homeowner don't think about asking, or we assume is covered under our base policy. When we talk about earth movement, it's not just earthquake, but what about mudslide, well, other earth movement that affects your foundations and the structure? These are separate policy coverages, are they right? not? Right,
1: and, and again. You, uh, I'm always careful to add. Talk, talk it over with your agent. It varies from state to state. It varies from company to company. Sinkholes are generally covered. Again, look at your policy. Some policies do exclude them, but generally, sinkholes are, are, are covered. Peril it causes a collapse of a, of a home and covers personal property as well. Mudslides are a whole different issue. Then you get into you're getting into flood coverage.
2: So, so mudslide falls back under the FEMA flood yes. coverage.
1: Yes, and it, and the mudslide has to. Flood flow is, is actually the terminology they use. It actually has to fit the definition of a flood, and I can give that to you right now if you want it. Sure. Quote, a general and temporary condition of partial or complete inundation of two or more acres of normally dry land area or two or more properties. That's, that's the situation that is considered a flood, but it has to come from one of the following. Overflow of inland or tidal waters unusual and rapid accumulation of runoff of surface waters from any source, mud flow, and I'll come back to that in a second, and then collapse or subsidence of land along the shore of a lake or similar body of water. You've seen the, the films where, you know, on a beach where it erodes. Right. And the and the bank collapses into the ocean. That's what that's talking about. And then mud flow is defined as a river of liquid and flowing mud on the surfaces of normally dry land when earth is carried by a current of water. So that's that's kind of the parameters where you that FEMA's gonna consider it a, a flood, and mud flow comes under that under that
2: definition. All right, let's go one step further. When it comes to flood insurance, because we brought the mud flow side into this, when should people consider purchasing flood insurance that would include the, the mud flow or mud slide that we just talked about?
1: Obviously, if they're near a body of water, they will want to consider it. While I'm thinking about it, let me give the, your listeners a, a website that's got some excellent information, floodsmart.gov.
2: Floodsmart.gov. Yeah, Common
1: spelling, floodsmart.gov, and it, it'll give a lot of details about this. But, you know, you don't necessarily, as you know, in your business, is excavation and construction and and, uh, residential development can alter how where and and how water flows, you know, storm drains and runoff and this kind of thing. So just because you're not near a body of water does not necessarily mean you're not subject to some flooding as they define it. Again, it's got to be two or more properties or two or more acres. The, the call we often get that we dread getting is where we get a lot of runoff and somebody gets water in their basement. That causes a lot of damage, but it's, it's on that one property only. Well, there's no coverage for that. Even if they have flood insurance, there's no coverage for that.
2: So it would take an event that would cover the area specified by FEMA, and it would have to be a larger area.
1: Yeah, two or more properties or two or more acres. So if you if you had a house and it was on three acres, for example, and you had a runoff and it covered at least, two of the, flood at least two of those acres, then you'd be covered if you had a flood policy.
2: Now, more often than not, I have people talk to me about flood insurance under new home construction saying, am I inside or outside the floodplain? If I'm outside the floodplain, I don't need to purchase flood insurance. And that may be true of your lender in terms of right. their requirements, right. but that's the reason I wanted you to address this. That's not always the case for the homeowner. You may right. live outside a floodplain plain but there may still be reasons that you need to acquire flood insurance.
1: True, and, and again, you know, you just have to assess it you know, and see where you are. And conversely, depending on how the how old the flood maps are, and, and I've seen situations where people are quote in a floodplain if to look at a flat floodplain, but they're on elevated ground. So in those cases, they don't. Everything around them was a floodplain, but they were on a knoll. Okay, and you didn't have to get it. So.
2: Interesting insurance facts for all of us to think about, things we need to be aware of when we're renewing or purchasing new, and maybe for some of us we should be pulling that policy out of the file drawer and actually reading it to see what coverage we have and what coverage we may need. Good idea. Rick, I certainly appreciate you joining us today. We always appreciate the feedback you have for us. Thanks, Ken.
0: That's this week's edition of One on One with Ken the Contractor. Let's go back to the phones, 800-614-2975. It's David who joins us right now. Dave, go right ahead.
1: Okay, fellas. Ken, I got, a, I got a stupid question for you. All right. Uh, I was up in my attic recently, which is unfinished. I was trying to find out why I had a water leak in my uh, that was dripping on my bedroom ceiling,
3: and my knee came off one of the beams upstairs and put a hole in the drywall, which is my ceiling of my bedroom. What, what's the best? Because
1: apparently this happens with some regularity because... There are lots of different methods people swear to on the Internet for repairing this. I was wondering
3: what the best way you could think of uh, would be to repair that.
2: All right. Is your ceiling textured? Do you have a spray texture on the ceiling?
3: Yeah, I do.
2: Okay. Well, the good news is today you could buy ceiling texture products that are either can be rolled on or come in aerosol cans. And that's the good news. Years ago, we didn't have that. And the bad side of that is when you retexture that, it's still going to show up, but you always have the option of painting the ceiling in that room. Even the spray texture can be painted. A lot of folks don't realize that. But the drywall itself, if you put the hole all the way through it, my approach to that would be to cut out the area that's damaged, to reinforce it from the backside since it's accessible from the attic. I don't mean you have to cut out this three- or four-square-foot area but reinforce it between your trusses, and then cut out only what you need to, patch that drywall, and then go back and retexture it. And from there, you're probably going to have to add some color to that whole ceiling if you don't want to see it look like a patch job.
3: Okay, so what you're saying is, like, put a couple of 2 by 4s between the beams upstairs so you got... Something to screw the drywall into, right?
2: Exactly. So if you've got an area that's a foot square, you're going to put some blocking behind that. Now, you can go to some wholesale houses, and they will sell some uh, some retrofit or some repair kits. Some of them refer to as, as drywall frogs. They have other names with their little metal clips that will allow you to cut a square or an area out and actually put this on the, the, uh, the fixed side that remains. That screw's in place. Then you screw the patch piece over that. You break off some tabs and you finish it. You go on about your business. You don't even have to get behind it in the attic and put the two by fours in place. All
1: right. Well, thanks, Ken. I appreciate
2: it. Appreciate the call. Thanks for listening, David. Okay.
0: If you've got a question about your home inside or out, you can join us right here. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can reach us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. One thing we do want to mention, and that is to remind you to visit our website, which is KenTheContractor.com. You'll find a lot of information there as we do these shows. We tend to catalog the questions and the answers. You can go online and take a look at those if you have a question about flooring, ventilation, masonry, leaks painting drywall plaster decking insulation click onto that and you'll find some of the questions that ken has dealt with on the program that relate specifically to those situations plus if you missed a recent show you can click on and listen to one of the podcasts of one of our recent programs and you want to just find out about one of the apps of the week that ken mentions on our program it's all online at KenTheContractor.com. and don't forget while you're there You can also leave email questions, and you can also forward voicemail questions to our contact number, 800-614-2975. Don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. Again, if you've got a question, you can join us, 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. You can always reach Ken the Contractor. That's Ken Patterson at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. We'll get to your calls in just a moment. Right after we bring you this week's edition of In the News, every week Ken brings products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you uh, to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and new construction. This week we got some uh, new products.
2: Yeah, we do. It doesn't always have to be a serious article that we talk about. Here today we have one that's kind of light and fun for those of you that are remodeling or thinking about replacing a few items and gadgets around the home. And this comes to us from uh, the NAHB. This is the editor's pick for the National Association of Home Builders. They see these products all over the nation, as I see them in different regions. But the first item we're going to talk about today, just briefly, or at least make you aware of, is produced by Kenmore, by Sears. That's a name many of us have grown up with. The signature refrigeration line has expanded with what they call the the elite Grab and Go. Now, this is huge. This is a 31-cubic-foot uh, refrigerator-freezer, uh, an upright that's split in the middle with the uh, freezer on the bottom. So this is something that's becoming a trend nationwide, 31-cubic-feet here. This also has four doors. Now, you're going to think a little bit about that. One door on the bottom for the freezer, two doors for the refrigerator, and then it has a door that opens for those readily convenient items. You've got milk, you've got basic items that you're into every day without without opening the entire refrigerator. Also, if you're into security, you live in an area where you're a little more concerned about that, can't remember if you put the deadbolt on the front door, there's a new architectural door hardware line that comes with secure remote technology that allows homeowners to operate and monitor their entry doors using a smartphone. It's amazing to me. Where technology has taken us these days. It combines the cloud computing with Bluetooth technology. It offers automatic deadbolt actuation and normal access with a key as well. That is produced by Keeler Architectural Door Hardware. And one of the last items a number of people have asked me about this, and there are different brands in the marketplace now, and this is one of the newest ones. It's called Flow Motion, the motion senses hands-free or some motion sensing hands-free faucet, and it's designed with sensors that detect movement in two zones, which makes this rather unique. Moving your hand above the spout starts the flow and stops the flow of water. Also, there's a sensor below that turns it off and on like many of the others. So this is something you may find of interest to you in your bathroom lavatories. This will also, this is another area that is unique. It will operate using six standard AA batteries, or it can be hardwired to AC power, so you're not having to replace batteries this is produced by Moen. For all of these products and so much more, just go to the website, kenthecontractor.com, and you'll find this data on our links connection.
0: Alright. To the phones we go, and it's Nancy. Hi Nancy, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor.
3: Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Hi Nancy. Hi. Uh, Ken, I'm just wondering if you can come up with a average square footage for a new construction home That would be in the upper range of product use.
2: What part of the country are you in?
3: Harrisonburg, Virginia.
2: All right. Well, it makes a difference for one part of the country, and we have people listening to us uh, from all over the country. So the bottom line is, for those of you listening to what I'm about to share with her, you want to check with local builders and your local community, architects, designers, to find out what these rates are. Typically in the western part of Virginia, on high-end homes, you're going to be exceeding $100 a square foot. And part of what drives that will be the level of finishes. If you're going to put oak-stained trim throughout the house, crown mold, chair rail, hardwood flooring, that is so much more pricey than putting a basic carpet down and painting the walls and painting the trim. So for you and for others, once want you to understand you dictate that the basic cost of the home for a custom home will be about the same in your region, meaning you have good quality construction. You've got, uh, say, 2x6 exterior walls, R19 exterior wall insulation, 2x4s at 16 inches on center on the interior. Building codes in some part of the country allow non-bearing walls to be at 24 inches on center. So if you're following good practices for a good, sturdy, well-built home, that basic shell cost should run you about the same. Where you're going to drive the cost up when you get into custom, and I'm comparing custom versus a track built, but where you start running the cost up will be the finishes and the way all of us control that. It's a little bit like buying a car, and you see the base sticker price on it. Then you look at two pages of accessories that doubles the base sticker price. So a home is no different for you or for anyone else. But in your region of the country, you can anticipate that you it's reasonable for you to be paying in excess of $100 a square foot for a fairly high-end custom home, and I have seen those run without the land into the 120s, the 130s in your region.
3: All right, so uh, a currently built home that was built in the early 1990s, and it was a custom high-end home versus a new custom-built home. Um, square footage-wise, for the older home, it's going to be less. In the current home?
2: It may be. Now, it depends. You, you can't just make a blanket statement and assume that. It will depend on the neighborhood that it's in. It will depend on whether homes in that area are selling well. It will depend on that price range because if we look at homes, and I'm just going to use this as an example, uh, in many markets, homes that are $400,000 and up, are still moving at a very slow pace today, yet homes from two to $400,000 are moving at a pretty good clip. So you may find that there is a bargain, and if I were in the market for a home right now to, either, to decide I'm going to custom build or I'm going to buy, I would be weighing exactly what you are, but I would be looking at the existing custom-built homes that suit my needs with some of the higher-end furnishings on the inside, certainly look at the age of it as I've talked about in other segments on shows, and see whether all the dollars make sense to you. You're doing the right thing by doing your homework and comparing new costs. Now, the other thing you can get that will be more accurate than what I'm giving you for your general region would be to contact two or three custom builders in your area and just ask them, what could I anticipate on a 2,500-square-foot custom home, fairly high end? Uh, what are you seeing because you're building these homes every day in my market? What should I anticipate? Most builders that are reputable, are willing to share that data with you.
0: Nancy, thank you. We do appreciate your call. We're going to try to tuck in a quick email before we wrap up this segment. Yeah, this one comes
2: to us from uh, Charlotte out of Topeka, Kansas. She said, "I I want to fence my backyard for privacy. There's an empty field behind the house. The kids play baseball and other sports, including the occasional golfer, using it for a driving range. I think that's important when I read the rest of her question. It says, one neighbor installed a wood fence some years ago, and now many of the slats have holes in it and are broken from the baseballs. I'm happy to have the kids in the neighborhood, but I want to protect my investment. Is there a product that may be right for such a situation? Well, Charlotte, I think, think there happens to be. Now, there are a number of products in the marketplace, but I'm going to give you one that I know Jim particularly likes, I brought to the studio here some time ago that I like as well, and I've seen the performance on this, and this is a, a product called uh, Simtek Fencing. And that's S-I-M-T-E-K Fence. It's a product that's produced in Texas, and this is a highly durable product. In fact, they guarantee it to be impact resistant in terms of resisting baseballs, golf balls, rocks bouncing off of it, I won't say it's indestructible from what I've seen, but it sure will make your life a whole lot easier and will protect that investment. So go to my website, and you'll find the link on that. Go to KenTheContractor.com, and you'll be looking for SimTech fencing.
0: Was very impressive when you brought it in, uh, and and particularly the look and the, the different materials that they used provides an element of texture to it. It it's just doesn't have the look of just your standard
2: prefab product. Yeah, this product's available in multiple colors, and it has the the tendency for the most part to
0: look like a stacked stone fence, and it's reinforced with galvanized steel. Along with Ken Patterson, I'm Ken the Contractor. We appreciate you joining us this and every weekend. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor, where folks come for professional answers. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or go online to KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.